FTX was nothing crypto. It's all Wall Street. It's all traditional finance. My opinion is that Sam Bankman-Fried set the industry back a few years. Yeah. So we intentionally decided not to do trading, not to uh, engage in some of the uh, investments. <laughs> uh, we're not investments. There. I think the American culture in essence is very much aligned with crypto and yeah people tell you you should do this but uh, without actually doing it and losing money for example you actually don't know that actually uh, don't do that. speaking my language <laughs> the overwhelming narrative in crypto was all of the collapses of 2022 but quietly there were companies and exchanges building during the bear market expanding hiring and gaining much greater market share OKX is one of them. I spoke with Hong Feng, the CEO of OKCoin and the president of OKX, about how they became the second largest exchange in the world while everybody was talking about the exchanges that were collapsing. This is an incredible conversation about offering products to the entire world that are going to facilitate mainstream adoption that will allow people to trade and invest in a centralized and decentralized manner. What they're building is rather incredible. You should listen to this. That's dope. You're the CEO of OKCoin and the president of OKX, which the obvious first question is, do you ever sleep? I do. I actually sleep pretty well. <laughs> How, yeah, I mean, I'm you're running sleeper. an international exchange effectively. And then also, as we like to very American-centric, say onshore, mm -hmm. right? Because to Americans, onshore means America. Everywhere else in the world, maybe it means something else. <laughs> But it, that has to be a 24-7, 365 job with endless stress. Yeah, we have a good team, I would say. we uh, Obviously, our team is very global, but I think we have a very strong team. And uh, we have also been lucky that uh, over the last um, month, uh, year, when the industry um, went through volatilities, um, we previously have been managing our counterparty risk uh, very well, so we didn't have those stress and uh, we know exactly what we need to work on and have been hiring very aggressively in very specific uh, positions where we want to hire. So we have been able to grow our uh, team uh, very strategically and, and keep picking up strong talent. So, so I would say I'm, I'm blessed and grateful for the team that we have. Wow. Yeah. You, you touched on the volatility. Some would call it contagion. Some would call it winter or contagion. outright collapse of last year. So you said that yeah. you've obviously been hiring aggressively in a time when most people have been scaling back or failing. And so not even on the team side, you've also now become the second largest exchange in the world effectively, right? So how were you able to continue to be successful and to grow while there was so much contagion and failure in the industry? Yeah, I, I think it really goes back to how we think about the business and our what our role should be. I think uh, our definition of crypto has always been that, that it's a, a tech company, it's a tech industry, it's a tech-driven industry. And for us, uh, what we do as a business is also very tech-driven. Uh, we always focus on uh, uh, pushing for product innovation, focus on managing risk, focus on not taking the um, the balance sheet risk or financial engineering ourselves. We never engage in those type of situations. Uh, um, 
so I, I think it's all because of that, uh, that along the along the journey, we've been making right decisions, uh, you know, really uh, building our product uh, on the uh, um, uh, crypto native side. We really build our wallet, um, wallet, right, Web3 wallet, uh, pushing off all the uh, kind of innovation that we can um, on toward a, a more trustless uh, system, uh, a non-custodial wallet, uh, um, uh, more trustless uh, a, a way to verify um, reserve the POR uh, program that we put out. On the other hand, on the centralized uh, exchange business, we really um, you know put internal controls in process so that we don't we don't uh, engage in in some of those things that I, I think some of our competitors actually do. Uh, you know, when everything happened out there, we looked at our own internal counterparty risk and there is no counterparty risk that, that we have outstanding related to, to those parties. So intentionally decided not to do trading, not to uh, engage in some of the uh, investments. <laughs> uh, we're not investments. there to, to do those type of things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't, we don't do that. Um, it's just not our business. You're not you're not quietly operating a hedge fund or counter trading against your customers. No. Is basically what, what, what you're saying in a very nice and political manner, right? Yes. And so yes. I, I, you talked about the technological innovation and viewing it as a tech company, effectively, and as a tech asset class, which I love because I think a lot of centralized exchanges focus solely on that model. But you seem to have effectively decided to disrupt that model, even though you're running a centralized exchange, by offering the full breadth of services that exist within crypto. I don't think anybody else has done that to the extent that you have. So can you talk about, A, why you've decided to double down on the decentralized side, and B, what products you're then offering or you have on the roadmap to, to continue that process? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think. Um the future of decentralization is always uh, a vision that we have um obviously there's uh be before you know um we get to a fully decentralized future i think there's also debate of whether everything can be fully decentralized there's always a uh interim where you have to have that connection point and the centralized exchange is that connection point at this point right to to welcome people on board and introduce people from the legacy system into the new system. Uh, but for us, um, our, for our platform, we really think about providing options, offering choices to our customers and giving people the ability to choose what they want, helping them to make those choices and take control in their own hands. And that's our firm belief. Um, uh, from a commercial perspective, we obviously have to be able to run a business that is profitable so that we can actually sustain the continued investment uh, in the decentralized technology. But from a product perspective, if you actually go, say, uh, download OKX app, you can actually see that in one app, you can access both uh, the centralized exchange product as well as the 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 decentralized wallet, the non-custodial wallet. And on the non-custodial wallet, you can actually access a whole list of things uh, in addition to the ability to um, to uh, to save assets, to uh, quote unquote, house your own uh, um, uh, crypto assets across 50 plus chains. You can also access uh, NFT marketplace, you can access uh, DEX, you can access a DEP, um, uh, 
aggregator, yield aggregator, everything in one place. Um, so that's the interoperability, the ability to actually um, uh, have choices and options in one place, um, and um, the ability for customers to actually take ownership of their own choices is always something that we strive for. I don't think we as a platform should make that decision for the customer. We actually encourage people to take assets off um, and, and control themselves. But you know, some people may choose to do more centralized uh, um, activity than decentralized activity. And then for the centralized activity that we offer, obviously the industry went through uh, a whirlwind of changes, right? Um, where people were scared about, you know, whether the the centralized platform actually have proper reserve for um, for customer assets. And uh, ironically, we went through similar whirlwinds in the traditional financial industry uh, right after that with banks. Um, I, I do think that after those events, uh, um, it is pretty clear that uh, you know in the in a more decentralized future where everything is digital, everything actually moves uh, um, you know in a second on chain. Uh, um, the a more sustainable model is a hundred percent reserve. Um, uh, if you run a platform, if you run a platform. So for, for us in the crypto uh, space, we do have 100% reserve, actually more than 100% reserve. And we want to offer our customers and even non-customers ability to see that we have that reserving place real time. And we do that again on, on chain, trustless. Um, the POR program that we have are all on chain. Uh, um, people can actually download the code and run themselves if they want to um, and audit. Uh, we actually would welcome uh, audit from third party uh, for those open source um, uh, codes. And uh, uh, the team is also working on uh, uh, ZK uh, knowledge to, to further uh, disclose the full liability side uh, without uh, compromising privacy. So, so those are the things that we're really pushing uh, on technology front. Um, you know, we would love to get third-party auditor as well, but you know, as we can see from the traditional side of the experience, having a third-party audit sometimes doesn't really help, right? Um, it, it doesn't help, and it seems like the big four generally don't want to touch crypto, anyways. And the companies that we're willing to fully audit crypto exchanges just aren't because, I guess, a fear of reputational risk or pushback or regulation or whatever it is. So it really does leave to sort of lead to self-regulation and to on-chain proof of reserves. So I think that's yeah. the best you can do right now, being pragmatic and honest. Yeah. What we are doing is we want to pursue a combination, right? We want to really push on the uh, technology side um, to to develop better tools and visibility for people. Uh, at the same time, we will pursue traditional way of auditing, uh, but we cannot rely on, on that part. And nor should our customers rely on uh, just traditional audit uh, methods uh, because there are intermediary risk. Uh, um, uh, and, and then if you know it's not 100% reserved, then there is liquidity risk that we see, the trust risk that we see with the traditional banking system. I was just going to say, you touched on it before, the issues that we've seen with the traditional banking system, they're all audited. And even just recently, I believe it was with First Republic, we're seeing a lawsuit. Of course, it's probably uh, nonsense, but suing KPMG, I believe, and First Republic for not being <laughs> transparent or for not realizing the issues with uh, the reserves of the bank. Right. So, they, I mean, this even if you get a audit audited by one of the big four firms, 
that doesn't really tell you that your money is safe. It's already been proven. Yeah, I mean, the, the, that for, for banks is a totally different story. It's the business model issue, right? right? The business Is the business model sustainable in today's world where the velocity of everything is picking up, the velocity of commas is picking up, the velocity of money is also picking up, and then you have social media. Uh, and then you have the reverse yield curve uh, hanging there. Most people don't really re- realize uh, the uh, that their deposit is actually not safe um, should anything happen. Uh, and it actually can happen really quick. So it's I think it's really a business model issue. So it's a different matter there. I think it's exactly because of that, that you know, when we look at things, I think we are uh, more convinced that what we are working on is actually meaningful and impactful and we should continue to push it. I agree. There's been a lot of talk about Elon Musk taking Twitter and creating the everything app. It seems like you guys are creating the everything app for crypto. We'll see. <laughs> yes, that, we were trying to do that. Yeah. Do you think you'll be able to push beyond crypto? I mean, a lot of exchanges I've heard talk about traditional assets and tokenizing everything, or right now is the focus really on what we have now and just offering all of that to your customers. We have zero interest in anything that is not crypto. <laughs> I like we that. don't we don't really believe in tokenization of um financial assets. I think everything should be native. You know, when when we think about Bitcoin, it is an it is the digital native money. Uh and and when we think about the overall ecosystem that that the industry is trying to build, it has to be native to be able to succeed. Yeah, you talk about all of these services that you offer through the OKX app and the wallets and these incredible things. And I'm American and I can't access them. No, you can't access the Web3. That leads obviously to you being the CEO of OKCoin as well, which is the US-based property. Yes. Are there unique and totally different challenges to running those two businesses? And assuming so, what are they? I think for US practice, uh, obviously the the larger question is the regulatory clarity uh, that everyone is talking about. Uh, I am still hopeful that we can get to a point where we, the industry can find a, a, the right path forward with proper support. I know that you know people have a lot of uh, debate around whether we need regulation or not, but I do think that we're at a point where there is no way going back and we should embrace it. We should embrace regulation, uh, uh, at least regulatory clarity so that there is a proper framework for entrepreneurs and uh, engineers and and developers to actually build for the future. We know what we can do and what we we know what we cannot do instead of being pushed offshore. Like what we've seen, uh, some of the names out there have been announcing that they're going offshore. Um, I I still believe we still believe in U.S. market. We still believe in this um, culture. I think the American culture, in essence, is very much aligned with crypto, and and that's also why I'm very hopeful because I see a lot of people are actually standing up and trying to voice their point of view, including Coinbase. Uh, um, so I I think there is still that playing out for us uh, internally. Um, we are really focused on building the product. Um, to be honest, I think we still have a lot to do on our own internal product development in terms of very, you know, providing the best uh, uh, on-ramp experience that is um, available out there for U.S. market. You know, that is our single uh, biggest focus right now. 
um, you know, all the uh, uh, payment experience, uh, risk management experience, how to actually balance that for us. That's something that we are focused on at this point. Um, I'm less worried about uh, crypto innovation because I think we have actually a lot that we can offer uh, with the Web3 initiatives that we have uh, on OKX side uh, that we can, we would like to ultimately offer that uh, as as uh, as a whole package to the U.S. markets. Um, you know, a lot of the DeFi earn that we used to offer on OKCoin side in the future, we would like to bring it back as well to the market. Right now, we're temporarily pausing it as we focus on building some of the other pieces internally. Um, but but I'm very hopeful that U.S. market is will continue to be a strong market for crypto. I don't think that the regulatory ambiguity will last forever, but um, we'll we'll see. What what do you think? I tend to agree. I, I think that it obviously can't last forever, and I don't know if it just takes regime change or some sort of large, you know, black swan event of some sort to really push the needle. I mean, I, I hate to say, but my opinion is that Sam Bankman Fried set the industry back a few years. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that the the tone before FTX's collapse, even after Voyager and and uh, BlockFi, well, I guess that technically came later, but they were already having issues in Celsius. I think there was still generally a positive tone from the government. Yeah. I mean, we had the Lummis uh, Gillibrand Act uh, uh, proposal and quite a few things. And I think now they just have egg on their face and they're embarrassed and they've taken the completely opposite tack because they're afraid politically that they can't support it. That's really my sad, yeah. unfortunate opinion. The the ironical fact is that what actually failed FTX was nothing crypto. It's all Wall Street. It's all traditional finance. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing crypto about it. <laughs> it's, yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing crypto about it. Uh, but but I, I I do hope that we can get past it. And and, and you know us from from our perspective, we're not. Um, we're not stopping uh, in our building for the U.S. market. We we still we're still building for it. We are, we are here. We will continue to invest in this market. How challenging has the banking situation been for you on the U.S. side? Because we've obviously heard quite a few stories, some vetted, some unvetted, about yes. choke point 2.0 or difficulty finding banking relationships after Signature, obviously, and Silvergate disappeared. So has that been a challenge yeah. on your side? It is. It has been a challenge. Uh, I think as as what we've seen with other parts of the industry, uh, the matter of fact is there are not a lot of you know banks that actually service crypto industry and service them well. Uh, and unfortunately, we lost two um, plus 0.5 maybe uh, yeah, exactly. uh, overnight. <laughs> overnight, uh, there are still um, banks who, who who serve crypto um, out there, but you know I think we'll take time for them to actually develop that infrastructure as what Silvergate and Signature have been able to, um, and and get back to where we used to be. Um, so there is a little bit of a fluidity there, um, but we are dealing with it. I think, um, you know, this is a part of entrepreneurship and, and, and part of building an industry. Uh, uh, you just have to work through it and adding more, adding more excess and, and uh, uh, resilience into the system, into our own system, having more um, diversity, uh, having more choices uh, so that there is a, more backup. I think that's a lesson learned for us as well. We we cannot take things for granted, even in U.S. or maybe sure. particularly in US. especially in the U.S. I was going to say, unfortunately, <laughs> especially. In the US. 
You talk about yeah. the banking infrastructure. So I guess there's some different aspects of banking for the crypto industry that people don't understand, right? I mean, there's simply where you can hold your accounts. But then there was, you know, Signet and Sen, which were the actual settlement networks. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about when you say it will take time for the infrastructure to be rebuilt? Is it that sort of on-chain side? Yes. Yeah. I mean, Signature and uh, Silvergate, they have their own internal settlement network that actually has been very uh, helpful and efficient for the customers. Again, from our perspective, we at a platform, we are agnostic in terms of how customers want to uh, settle their uh, assets or where they want to hold their assets. We actually welcome our customers to take assets off their pla- off our platform or you know settle in other places, as long as there is a, um, that infrastructure available. And we're happy to develop that infrastructure in partnership with other players. Uh, but yeah, to your point, yes, um, that's that's part of it. It's very fragmented. Um, without those, it's you know up to different. Um, exchanges to <clears throat> to do that i think there are some banks out there who are trying to develop that as well um, but again i think we'll take time uh, i agree so you are one of the first guests i've ever had who just outright said we don't believe in, i don't believe in tokenize everything right and then it's a, it's oh, a native so that's I, been i, I that's should been one pro- of the- i should probably I should probably qualify that as my personal point of view. <laughs> uh, of course, of course, but, but that but... that's interesting because I think for you know Web three yeah. and people mm-hmm. obviously who have believed in NFTs for a long time, that's been one of the bigger narratives in crypto is that we can effectively bring everything on chain, uh, transact party to party, eliminate third parties from those transactions. So, what about the idea of tokenizing everything? Doesn't resonate with you. Um. I should say tokenizing everything resonate with me in in only in senses where if we have more nativeness uh, in that. I don't believe in tokenize a stock. I don't believe in tokenize a uh, a real estate uh, securitization uh, portfolio. Um, I think that doesn't really. That is basically a solution that is trying to find a problem to be solved. Um, I, I I do think that there are room for uh, more on-chain um, <clears throat> uh, or you know token for for other things, including an NFT. I think there are actually uh, signs of how NFT can be further utilized uh, in uh, in um, real life use cases uh, in the future uh, while still being native. But I think that the 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 rounded NFT wave last year, uh, there is a mix of hype and and uh, and a glimpse into future. Uh, probably, you know, like every other innovation, it's probably 80, 90 percent hype and then you know ten or five percent glimpse in the future. But I do see that there are potential in in how NFT in itself can actually uh, introduce something interesting in, in from you know business. Uh, model from use case perspective, but um, but there are uh, nativeness that I think need to be required, um, i.e., you know, on-chain uh, development of, you know, how actually some of the online um, activities can be captured uh, seamlessly into uh, a, a token or NFT, then that can be reflected uh, and captured in, in value. Um, so, so I think whenever there is a uh, connection that we have to make between on-chain and off-chain, that's where the 
quote unquote tokenization can be a bit more challenging. But if you know, for example, when it comes to that's why we see crypto being successful in financial system in the first place because you know financial system is all digital on chain. Uh, I think that's also why you know the traditional idea of probably seeing more disruption in social media in in gaming and some of these more uh, natively digital pieces is probably where we can see a little bit more breakout. Um, but I, I don't believe in tokenizing financial instruments. <laughs> well, I, I love that you made the point that it's 90% hype and probably 10% real, because I think that describes every single one of these mini cycles that we've seen in the crypto space, whether it be DeFi summer, NFT summer, metaverse fall, if you want to call it the recent AI wave, I think. Why do you think that we get yeah. so excited and so sort of overwhelmed with these ideas and then we just see them sort of tail off as we did with NFTs last year? Yeah, I I, I don't know, Scott. I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we as human are uh, um, imaginative, right? We actually want something good and better and and best uh, before we even know what actually it is and what it entails. That in itself is is not bad um, because without that, we won't be able to progress. Uh, but at the same time, there's also a, a reality of of um, technological development and kind of you know entrepreneurship, uh, exploring what actually works and what is the real problem and how we are going to solve it. And, and what's a solution? So I think there's always that um, that the curve uh, for every new wave of technology and new initiative. Um, you always you know see something that is really interesting and disrupting, and then your our imagination and expectation go way a bef- uh, ahead of what actually can be delivered at that certain point of um, uh, time. But the direction I think is fine. So I think when it comes to crypto. Um, well, Web three or whatever yeah, we we call it, uh, long term, uh, long term horizon is really important, and then picking clear winners is really important, and then for everything else, you just make sure that you know, you either actually are an entrepreneur and you work on it full time, or if you're really kind of an investor or a trader, really understand what you're doing and, and manage that risk yeah. uh, <laughs> is important. Yeah. That's funny you talk about picking clear winners. I would imagine that there's a challenge running an exchange and just picking what you can list. At this point on OKCoin, how do you even choose what assets you're going to make available in this regulatory environment? Yeah, we don't... Uh, to, to your point, we uh, we try not to pick the winners, but we kind of have to, right? So at some yeah. point, there's a basic threshold that we have to. Yeah. But for us, the basic threshold is more, you know, looking at uh, red flags, looking at, you know, whether something is security or not, looking at whether it's a reputational red flag. We also have team looking at the um, uh, the protocol itself and see if there is any uh, uh, backdoor that is being built uh, or loophole that we don't feel comfortable with. But then, you know, there's so much we can judge. We, you know, we we are not we're we don't have a crystal ball. Uh, um, we don't know whether a, a protocol project will be successful or not. Um, so we can only do so much. Um, really, just evaluating um, and and screening out the projects that we don't feel comfortable, and then leave the rest to the market. Is there a fear that 
the SEC just comes out and says, if it's not Bitcoin, it's a security and you can't list any of it. I mean, would you become a Bitcoin only exchange? What would happen in that situation? If 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 that's really the fear, then uh, I might as well just quit and not do, do this. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> when uh, when a Congress, uh, you know, uh, cannot even get that answer straight forward from uh, from Gensler, you know, it's it's hard for us as a business people to to get that answer. Um, so, but but for us, I think what matters for us is we want to make sure that we do things right, right? We do the right thing, meaning we have our evaluation framework, uh, we have consistency. Uh, when we look at every uh, token, there is actually a consistent framework that we follow and we make those decisions. Some assets we say yes, some assets we don't feel comfortable and we'll review later. And for some of those assets, we we uh, we don't list right away. It's not because you know it doesn't work forever. Maybe it's because the 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 um, the assets is at a time where we don't feel comfortable making any decisions. So we'll wait and see how how the uh, the protocol and community develops. Um, yeah, but it, I think it ultimately it's about how, what we do. Similar to um, your previous question of, you know, how you actually manage the 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 industry volatility and and uh, manage to grow. I think ultimately um, a lot of the decisions have to be, um, you know, the decision we have to make internally. What business model you are uh you're building toward what are the principles um how are you going to conduct um in, in particularly tricky situations and that comes down to in crypto when there is no where there is no clear rules and, and regulation and even sometime when there is we probably you know have different point of view and i think come down to our own principle how we actually make a uh, judgment calls I think that's a great segue into the other side, at least from outside looking in on why you've continued to grow so much. Obviously, you sort of talked about all the internal practices that you had that allowed you to navigate that. But you guys have also been incredibly good at marketing, right? And I, you know, I love Hyder. I've had him on my show a number number of times, but the McLaren orange sticks in my mind anytime I think of OKX <laughs> now. And of course, the Manchester City okay. kits and the Tribeca Film Festival. But there's, yeah. I guess, some I wouldn't say controversy, but argument as to how much marketing exchanges should do, where they should be doing it. And you guys have, I would say, chosen extremely wisely. And it's been a really interesting effort. So can you talk about the marketing side, why you've chosen to do the deals that you've done and where you see, I guess, the mm -hmm. ROI from, from things like that? Is it because you're looking for a specific amount of people to sign up by an F1 you know, a relationship or is it <laughs> no. just a generally a billboard, you know, what's the thinking behind it? Yeah. Uh, great questions. Uh, why, why we choose to, uh, do those deals, uh, and why we do marketing. Uh, if you ask me and if you ask Heider, you'll probably get a slightly different answer. I think I just enjoy him. doing it, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, no, I'm 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 joking. Uh, I I think for for us when we think about marketing and and how we want to invest, um, the number one the number one rule that I think we uh, are following is that we have to be authentic. You know, when we pick a partner, for example, we want to make sure that we actually partner with someone who are aligned with our philosophy and value, and there is some fundamental. Uh, uh common ground right uh that that we share uh i think that is a, a very important starting point so when we actually look at some of those partnership uh, um, potentials 
what actually really excited us about McLaren, about uh, uh, Man City, about Tribeca is is the the ambition for getting better, uh, is the ambition for pushing for for things that we challenging the assumptions, uh, right? Challenge look, building for something new, asking for um, asking you know whether what we are doing right now is actually enough is actually right um should we do something different i think that level of um uh, aggressiveness and uh, uh and also resilience you know when it comes to you know uh, uh sports uh resilience is very important and i think that those two uh passion for change and and um you know being unsatisfied with status quo and then plus the resilience um through volatility i think those two actually defined us in the industry, particularly for those who are here for long term. And so I think that level of authenticity is really important. And and when we decide to go with those partners, I think there is a level of spiritual <laughs> alignment, uh, value alignment uh, with with uh, with the senior leadership on, on those partners um, uh, for us. Um, and then the other piece I think that is really important when we think about marketing is also because I think it's really about uh, connecting marketing to product to what we are really uh, offer to the customer in the um, in the industry, uh, and we want to make sure that's authentic. But but also we are actually you know doing real things right to the customer instead of just you know talking. Uh, we actually need to walk. So everything that we we work on internally um, you know has to be a a customer first uh, customer driven approach. I think there's uh, still a lot that we haven't done yet. Uh, we're just getting started, to be honest, uh, in terms of kind of marketing and, and thinking about uh, connecting with the community properly and connecting with uh, customer properly and bring those back to our product cycle too. We are really just getting started. So um, uh, you're looking forward to do more uh, on that front. In terms of ROI, I don't know if you have a, a better answer in your conversation. You've talked to so many uh, uh, people and leaders. If you have any ideas and suggestions, let us know. <laughs> we, uh, I, I couldn't I imagine that you'd be really able hard. to determine the ROI based of the deal or to be able to track how many customers you've signed up because they saw the awesome McLaren no. car or anything or anything like that. So I assumed that it was just general marketing and spreading the ethos. And it, in my opinion, yeah. it massively helps the industry as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. As long as it's not the naming rights on the stadium uh, for a company that goes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, even even at the time, though, well, I, I should say perhaps in hindsight still, because we all yeah. cheered it. But I think that to a large degree, if you look back, FTX was literally just throwing money anywhere with no concern for how well it aligned. Yeah, yeah. It took us a long time to to decide um, what whether to do this and and what to do and who to do this with. Um, so I, I think we made the right choices, but but again, as I mentioned, I think we still have a long way to go. Doesn't hurt that it's like the most popular show on Netflix, and we see okay X all over it, right? On sort of the Formula One survive to drive, it's it's pretty cool. I, I was never into Formula yeah. One at all until I watched that show, actually. And then, to, honestly, I went to Token Twenty Forty Nine uh, last year. And because I happened to stop at the OKX booth, I met Daniel Ricardo, the the driver. Because you guys that's had him there, and that's what I got super yeah. excited about yeah. Formula One. So it even worked on me. I didn't know anything about Formula One until last year when I was in Singapore at your booth. 
Yeah, I, 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 I was new to Formula One too, and I didn't realize that it is such a technology-driven business. Um, there are a lot of uh, technical uh, uh, details that go into it. Like everything else that we do, I think details really matter. And for them, detailed consistency and you know constant optimization really make a huge difference. And I think that's another thing, right? You know, um, with Formula One, with Man City, uh, with uh, um, with all our other uh, brand uh, ambassadors. Um, what we see there that is, you know, pretty consistent theme across the board is that your focus, your consistence, um, uh, and persistence in 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 working on some of those details, attention to details is really matter, really make a huge difference. And I think the same can be said for crypto, for trading, for hodling, whatever you're doing, right? So, so I think that uh, is something that is. Um, uh, more around kind of the brand authenticity that we want to build around um, and and relay to our customers too. Obviously, this market goes in cycles. Anyone who's been here for a while has maybe not been as surprised by this bear market as uh, people who are who are new to it. Do you think that it gives you a tremendous advantage that you've not only survived but thrived and been able to build through a bear market because i think historically the best things of the next bull market are always built when nobody's watching crypto and nobody's concerned yeah. with prices so really it's kind of become a meme but you know build during the bear market i i do i do believe uh i do believe in that um you know we have been around for uh a long time right we have uh okay coin started in 2013, 13, 14. OKX um, was founded in 2017. So, so collectively, we have been actually through multiple rounds, uh, multiple cycles, and every every down cycle was the time for us to build, uh, for us to transform ourselves. And we are in one of those uh, 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 very uh, um, great moments uh, internally. Um, so we actually treasure. The, this kind of downtime because this is great for us to to focus uh, internally. We have uh, quite a lot going on right now, but again, you know, one of the major focuses around technology. We we are investing a lot in in Web three technology and in and improving our web um, wallet. Recently uh, launched our MPC um, uh, feature for the wallet, which I I believe is huge because it actually makes it easier for. Uh, uh, crypto native to to really try uh, the non-custodial part of the um, um, industry. I think we all, uh, for for crypto natives, uh, we all get very excited about you're not your keys, not your crypto. Uh, sure. We're not your Bitcoin, but but uh, historically we've seen um, that it's been really hard to push that envelope uh, adoption of the non-custodial wallet. Uh, right, agree. we all get very excited about it. We see the Twitter. Uh, you know, we we live in this uh, echo chamber. Um, but when we look at data, the adoption curve of that is really uh, lacking compared to what we would like it to be. But I'm hoping that you know, with MPC type of uh, um, uh, feature, it will make things easier for for non crypto native people to to actually end up using non custodial wallet a lot more. Yeah, I think the reason we get excited about it is in theory because it's the idea of being your own bank and securing your keys. But for a lot of people, then they're like, I have to write this down and lock it away and split it up. And it just becomes 
insane. Yeah. Right. It yeah. Takes a very and the risk, the risk of managing, the risk of managing that is also huge. pretty high, right? Can you talk about yeah. MPC, yeah. what that means? There might be people who are watching who don't actually know what that technology is or what you've added. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, our MPC feature basically take away the traditional um, uh, seed phrases that are required for a non-custodial wallet. So generally for, for a non-custodial wallet, you'll end up creating seed phrases. You have to write it down. It's generally 12 you know, words, um, 12 phrases uh, in case later you have to uh, recover your own wallet. Uh, or if you end up, you know, if you use say OKX wallet to open your own non-custodial wallet and later you want to actually uh, manage your assets from another wallet, then you can actually, you know, access uh, your wallet from another uh, provider uh, by by using the C phrase to recover. Um, but that is extremely, as Scott mentioned, uh, it's ex extremely uh, inconvenient because you have to write it down and, and figure out how to actually keep that uh, piece of paper safe. <laughs> it's terrifying. Uh, it's terrifying. So what we have uh, done is that we actually um, uh, uh, enable our customers to create a quote-unquote keyless wallet, um, meaning uh, in this MPC wallet, instead of uh, um, writing down the 12 uh, C phrases, uh, what you ended up getting is you just create your wallet uh, and then you will end up having three pieces of keys one key uh, OKX will hold for you, one key you hold for yourself, and then the third key you can choose to keep on the cloud, in the cloud. And for every transaction that you um, authorize for your own wallet, you will need two out of the three keys to, to manage. So you still own, you still um, uh, own your wallet transaction. OKX as a platform won't be able to do anything with your wallet without your consensus but in case you you know uh, lose one of the two keys that you have uh you can come uh, and and ask for help basically right so so that will actually uh, uh help kind of alleviate the inconvenience with the traditional non-custodial wallet but still you still own your wallet um, the ownership is not compromised there and then we also uh, allow you know some emergency exit, for example, in in case you you uh, uh, you want to reset your wallet, you can actually restore and import your private key in case of an emergency to to keep your assets safe. Um, so I think these this is kind of exciting that 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 we feel like we 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 feel important for pushing the adoption of non-custodial wallet, um, providing that uh, initial layer of convenience which i think actually most people want without compromising uh the self-ownership um of of your own wallet or own bank yeah it's the perfect hybrid I, i've been using casa multi-sig for years for my bitcoin but there's never really been a great solution that i've loved for uh anything else and even you know three of five multi-sig is scary because you're geographically distributing all of these things and you have to go chase them down so mpc is really one of the most exciting technologies because it really abstracts away some of that the terrifying parts <laughs> we were discussing yeah, before yeah. so that's a huge innovation you've added what else is on your roadmap that you're excited to release what are the things that you're most focused on that you think need to be included in the platform or, or the wallet, you know, in the next six months, year to two years? 
Yeah, a big piece of our wallet is around interoperability. I think that is probably uh, the uh, underlying belief uh, that underpins our uh, uh, product development on the on the non-custodial on the Web three side. Meaning, uh, we continue to add uh, various uh, support of the chain out there for both our wallet as well as the MPC uh, capability. Um, we will be adding Lightning to our Web3 wallet as well. Right now, we do support Lightning on the centralized exchange side. Mm -hmm. uh, we will be adding that to the wallet as well for Lightning, um, so so that um, you know people can actually manage both Bitcoin as well as other assets and, and actually end up using that if they choose to for for payments. Um, we obviously have a ZK uh, zero knowledge technology that we are actually pushing forward. Uh, we also have a, a few other pieces that are in pipeline. Um, I'm not going to talk about it yet uh, because you probably um, see uh, if you haven't realized that uh, our style is not to talk too much about certain things until we are 90% there or 100% there or even 120% there. Um, we always have internal debate of whether we want to tease certain pieces, but uh, at this point, we're still kind of, you know, uh, more conservative in terms of what we actually talk about. But we do have quite a few um, things on the roadmap um, um, that we, we are pushing very heavily on. So you're saying you don't do announcements of announcements like we've seen <laughs> in the industry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. When we when we say we do lightning, we do it. Uh, we already actually push out uh, for POR, same thing, zero knowledge. You know, when we talk about it, it's pretty certain that we're actually doing it. And if we do pre-announcement, it's you know one month away. Uh, we we yeah. know exactly what we're doing and, and can launch. With some of these features, have you been, I guess, either side? Have you been surprised at how popular they've been, or have you been surprised with any of them that there's been really no uptake or Adoption. That's been one of the criticisms of Lightning that I've heard quite a few times, actually, is that in theory, people are very excited yeah. about it, but then a platform uses it and it doesn't happen. I mean, even when Strike, you know, was added with Lightning payments to Twitter, and then that seemed like huge and nobody really used it, right? Yeah, we um, uh, we added Lightning in 2020, I believe. Uh, so... I think that's uh, that's one um, uh, one of the area where we see continued adoption, but uh, definitely the adoption curve is behind uh, the expectation, uh, which you know probably makes sense because there's still a lot of um, constraint in in both the operation of the of the uh, of the network as well as real use cases. Um, um, you know how far it can go. Um, Non-custodial wallet, I think, again, similar similar to I think what we talked about before. Um, conceptually, we would love to see it being picked up right away by uh, millions of people, right? Particularly after the bank fail failure. Uh, but in reality, uh, I think the adoption curve is uh, uh, you know takes take a bit more time. Um, but from from our perspective. I think the direction is right. Um, it probably takes a little more patience and education, and also external factors have to the stars have to align, so to speak. 
um, so we we are okay with waiting a little bit and investing uh, and gradually and gradually and then suddenly. So so we are hoping that you know by investing in in some of these um, tracks long term and doing it um, day in and day out, at some point uh, at some point it will uh, it will pick up. You talk about external factors and I kind of giggled because in my mind the the sad truth is we just need prices to go up. Right. I mean, it's I like agree. one of those things we talk I'm, about building. We talk about building in a bear market, but the reality is, yeah. you just need a bull market, and then everybody will be excited about these things. Yeah, but but I think it go hand in hand, right? Because in the bear market, you actually end up building. Uh, you realize that you know what actually works and what doesn't work, and actually end up building pieces. And in bear market, the the real believers actually stay behind and actually focus on building. And and yes, to to a point in in bull market when the price goes up, a lot more new interests come in, and that's where I I really have a, a lot of respect for both hodlers and and builders and, and traders because without traders and speculators, we are not going to be, you know, proceed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. But you look back even just at the last bull market, and I think one of the biggest problems that caused a lot of the contagion and issues was that platforms had not built the infrastructure during the bear market that they needed to scale during the next bull market. And so they were woefully behind and a lot of things slipped through the cracks. I mean, when I spoke to CZ at that time, I can't remember, I had him on the podcast, but it must have been, it was really at the heart of the bull market and the doge cycle. And he said, mm. I'm doing customer service calls. There's not enough people in the world for me to hire and train in time to handle the customer service. Voyager, he told me, you know, where we have a three month, four month, of course they collapsed, three month, four month waiting list, you know, for people to onboard because we just can't even service these people. So if those platforms had, you can't anticipate the scale of the bull market, but if they had built all of those structures yeah, no. in advance, then we probably wouldn't have had a lot of the issues that we had during that next market. Yeah, it's it's a learning it's a learning process for all of us going through um, different cycles. We every every cycle we learn something new, and for us internally, again, um, you know, we also learn a lot from the last cycle. Um, and coming out of it, you know, we we realized that we want to continue to invest in product, both external product for the customers as well as internal product, to to be able to allow us to deal with some of those. Uh, challenges more effectively without throwing bodies at the problem. Um, so that's where we have been focused on right now. Yeah, right. Both both the external product serving the customer, and then internally, how we actually uh, learn from our past uh, challenges and failures internally, and and invest in those internal tools to to improve operational efficiency, to improve the balance between business growth and risk management improve customer communication effectiveness uh, and a lot of that actually there's a lot yeah. of detail that go into it end to end um it's like you know doing puzzles uh building legos you have to actually build the uh groundwork really solid but without making mistakes unfortunately uh we don't learn uh, as as as, right. as uh, you know, people, <laughs> people tell you you should do this <laughs> Yeah, people tell you you should do this, but uh, without actually doing it and losing money, for example, you actually don't know that. Actually, uh, don't you're do that. Speaking my language, yeah, you're, you're speaking my language. I've told my story way too many times, so you you obviously should know that by now. How much of all these things that you're building, yeah. uh, if you're trying to differentiate between institutional potential institutional business and retail business, 
how much of it is being built for each or are you, you know, solely focused more in one area than the other? I think there's a lot of infrastructure sharing between the two, but at the same time, uh, different customer segments also have different, very bespoke needs. For us, we believe that we have to really go local and go vertical to really uh, listen to customers um, and and build uh, based on what they actually need the most. So we do have team focused on institutions and focused on retail. But at the same time, there are infrastructure layer, product architect, internal tools and system and external network that we have to build that will also benefit both segments. So um, so we're doing both, uh, so to speak. We just have different people doing different things, um, but we are investing in 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 all key uh, areas, and have been very busy. Uh, so so good good uh, good bear market for us to uh, focus on investing. Yeah, absolutely. I know we're kind of running out of time. Is there anything that you're particularly excited about for the industry for the company that's coming that I might not have touched on or, or might have missed? Uh, industry. I think the the having would be interesting. Uh, yeah. I think it would be interesting to see how Ethereum evolve uh, over time. Um, I personally don't have any uh, answer to that, but I think it will be interesting just to see how these two uh, work. And then, you know, question mark around uh, U.S. regulation. Uh, that's the third biggest question mark on my mind. Um, yeah, I think every other big. jurisdiction has moved forward. Uh, you know, you can you can argue whether it's certain jurisdiction regulatory framework is yeah uh, you you know there's there's obviously personal assessment for each, but I think for every jurisdiction they they at least try right at least send the signal of okay here's how we're going to do it, and then you can optimize on top of that. Um, U.S. is still kind of wishy washy, so we'll see. That's a nice way of saying it. So rough here. <laughs> <laughs> it's so rough, right? I mean, you just got Mika, obviously, uh, Mika, Mika in in Europe, yeah. and yeah. whether whether yeah. you know, regardless of your feelings of it, as you said, at least you know what you can do and what you can't. I think that's all people want. Yeah, yeah, clarity. Yeah, 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 clarity is everything. So, where can people follow you, and then obviously check out uh, everything you guys are building after this conversation. Sure. I'm I'm on Twitter. Uh, uh, my handle is uh, hfangca. Um, I'm actually uh, keeping a, a open DM, so would welcome feedback on product Brave. for either OKX or OKCoin. Happy to uh, happy to chat. That's always very brave to keep the DMs open. I go back and forth. <laughs> Never know what's going to come in there. <laughs> You you have a larger follower than I do, so I, I'm okay there. <laughs> well, hopefully you only get a very positive feedback and no angry people in your DMs. I'll hope for we your do sake. have we do have a lot of feedback, and I actually appreciate that. A lot of the customers actually, uh, when they run into um, challenges, they they reach out, uh, and we uh, use those opportunities to identify internal uh, hurdles and 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 fix some of those issues. So, yeah, um, we do get that, and we appreciate having those. I'm glad we finally got to chat uh, in, in person instead Thank of just you. in Twitter DMs. It was really, really a pleasure. And I hope we can do this uh, quite a few more times in the future. I love having members of your team on, like I said, as well. So uh, I, I really look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Same here. Very, very happy to be on. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Scott. Huh? Thank you. Let's go.